May the words that I speak now, the thoughts and the feelings that we all now experience, be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you for the invitation to share this with you today. I believe this year, and every year, that it's dangerous to pray for Christian unity. Since God in Christ is willing Christian unity, desiring it, requiring it of us, if we start to pray for it, the danger is we might start to get it. And then where will we be? Then what will we do? Then who will we be with? We'll end up with some pretty strange people and doing some pretty strange things. And that's why I think that takes us to the two Bible readings that we heard. I want to start with the Old Testament reading. And as a sometime biblical scholar, I will have noticed, but you didn't have the chance to notice, that the lectionary today cunningly missed out a verse. And if you were as suspicious as I am when lectionary makers miss out verses, I wondered why. The verse in the middle is about the reaction of one person to David dancing in front of the ark. The person is Michal. Michal was Saul's daughter and in the past had been David's wife. But when David fled from Saul, Saul gave her away to another man. After Saul's death, when David is coming back into power and is going for all sorts of power politics, stroke religious politics, with all sorts of people making alliances here and there, he does one deal, which involves the person who is offering to help him onto the throne, getting hold of Michal and bringing her back and giving her back to David. The fact that she's by this time married to yet a third person who follows her as she is taken away and the other general turns around and tells that husband to go away, and he does, needn't detain us today. It is not a good story for women, this one, and maybe that's why the lectionary writers, the lectionary compilers missed it out. But... Michal is horrified by what David does as he goes to bring the ark from where it has been. Because they had trouble bringing it to Jerusalem, he's parked it on the farm or the estate of a Canaanite. And now he's gone to collect it and bring it to Jerusalem. And what does sort of things does Michal object to? Well, she seems to object, firstly, that David, as you heard, goes in front of the ark in procession, dressed in the undergarments of a priest and in no overgarments at all. But is he a proper priest? You can just hear the religious debate between the factions going on. Is he a proper priest, or is he just pretending? Is it okay in his tradition, but not in another tradition, or what? You will hear the resonance of the question. But David is also acting like a slave, 
because the people who doused in processions were slaves on the whole, or certainly very low society. He's acting like a slave or someone low in society when he should be acting like a king. Oh dear. And in this dousing, he's apparently doing some pretty strange and pretty suggestive movements. And we don't want that sort of thing in our tradition, do we? <coughs> we don't do that sort of thing around here. You can hear Mikhail saying it. And the thing she does voice, above all, is that what David is doing is going to have a terrible effect on the young adolescent women in the court. And we can't have that either, can we? And yet, despite all his efforts, despite transcending all these boundaries, breaking these taboos, and despite all his faults, because David was playing pretty rough power and religious politics, which didn't always do people much good, despite all his faults, David is trying to put the worship and service of God at the centre of his kingdom. That's why he's bringing the ark and all it represents back and he's going to put it in the temple. And putting the worship and service of God at the centre of things, despite us being pretty flawed people and flawed Christian churches, that's what we find in the gospel we heard as well. Again, the lectionary writers have picked up and have missed a crucial verse ten verses earlier. Ten verses earlier, Jesus' family get another mention. They're on the way to come and collect him because they think he's gone mad. He's gone mad because he's talking about God all the time. He's gone mad because he's healing people. He's gone mad because he's calling followers and gathering them round him and teaching them, and he's not a priest, and he's not a rabbi. He's a carpenter's son from Nazareth. Who does he think he is? And they come to collect him, and Mark, because they think he's mad, and Mark then goes on to tell the story of how some people thought that what Jesus did, he was doing not by the power of the Holy Spirit, but by the power of an unclean spirit by the energy of madness. And all that leads you straight to the verses you did hear, where his family arrive, and they don't even come in to where he's gathered with his people. They stand outside and they send a message in, saying, um, we want to talk with you out here, please. And actually, they want to take him home. At that point, he says that incredible saying, which is so tough for his family. He looks round at the people who are with him, the people who are responding to his teaching, who are responding to the things he's doing, who are responding to his call to follow him, who are listening to him and being with him and sharing life with him, and sharing food with him, because it's in meetings like this, in these houses, though at this time they've not got time to eat, it's places like this that they will not just share teaching, but they will start to gather around the meals that will lead to the Last Supper and the Eucharist as we know it. It says, he looks around the people who are there, and he says, then 
Whoever does the will of God is my family. He's not disowned his own family, but he's challenged them. And of course, the great thing about families is you can't choose your relatives. You can choose your friends and you can even choose who you work with, but you can't choose your relatives. They're given you and you're stuck with them. And some of the worst possible arguments are arguments inside families with all sorts of tensions. And we know about that in the life of the church as well. Because we're stuck with each other as part of the church of Christ. And we try and avoid that fact by making sure we disappear into our own little corners. But actually we're stuck with each other. And at the heart of it all is we are centred on doing the worship and service of God. Centred on that and gathered around Jesus doing it and empowered by his spirit. And if you start praying for Christian unity, that's what you might start to get. You will end up being in some pretty odd places with some pretty odd people. But in my experience, you find holiness in all sorts of strange places and strange people. You would not expect to see the founders of Methodism having positive comments to make about someone like Francis de Sale. You would think that out of the 18th century English tradition, and the arguments and social things going on there, that they would be miles apart. But, as we heard, Francis de Sales invade against Calvinism. So did Wesley. And Wesley read the introduction to holy living, and he commended it to people. Because Wesley had a nose for holiness, And he knew that what you thought and believed about things mattered, but being centred on the will and worship of God in Christ mattered more. And he was always feeling after, for where does doctrine shade into opinion? Where are the things you should go to the stake for? And even if there are some things you should go to the stake for, Wesley always said, as he wrote in a letter to a Roman Catholic in Ireland. If your heart is right with the Lord, as mine is, give me your hand. 18th century Englishman writing to a Roman Catholic in Ireland. Let us do together the things we can to do together. Let us pray together when we can pray together. Let us worship together as we can worship together. Not deny the difficulties and the differences, but not use the difficulties and the differences as excuses for not worshipping, praying and missioning together. Wesley was accused of being a closet papist. 
he made the point like this. He said, people make mistakes in what they think and what they do. I, he kept saying, keep making mistakes in what I think and do. But in great, I'm now into a quotation, in great mistakes, holy men who have both lived and died, Thomas Akempis, for instance, and Francis Sal. And yet I doubt not, they are now in Abraham's bosom. Thanks be to God. Amen.